Welcome back to the podcast where you get to enjoy two cutthroat true crime cases each episode. I'm Alice. And I'm Gabby. And this is Cutthroat Cases. Because one is just not enough. Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. It's been a minute. It's been a really long time. The longest minute in history. Two almost, I think over two months. Whoops. The last one we did was like February 21st for Kurt Cobain's birthday. Oh, yeah. Wow. And it is now April 27th, so it's Um, been a hot minute. You can tell Alice and I are here thriving. Well, we've been very busy. Yes. I'm in the process of moving right now, actually. And I'm somewhat in the process of starting moving. Yeah, so we have... Only during the weekdays. Very so. busy weeks coming up. Yes. We started at the club again. Woo-woo. Um, so, um, yeah, we don't really have much... Yeah, we're just ready to get started and jump back into it. Yeah, I think so. We do have one fun announcement, though, kind of as a welcome back... Uh, we're gonna start selling our stickers. Woo! So we're thinking, or for sure, we have come to the conclusion yes. that you can buy one sticker for two fifty and five for ten dollars, and then both plus shipping. Yes, we'll put the information on our Instagram, and then we'll also create a link that you can go to on Instagram as well to order them from us. But we're very excited. Yeah. We made these a long, or Gabby made these a long time ago, <laughs> and I'm just excited that we're finally putting them out there for yes. sale. Because we've had them for a while, so yes. we want to share them with you all. Yeah. So I think that was the only case of business that we needed to take care of. Yeah. But I think Gabby is going to take yeah. this one away. Okay. All right. So I did my case... Backstory, Alice and I were trying to plan a weekend to um, do our cases for a while and, like, record, and it kept getting, like, pushed back, and, like, we're just, it was a mess. It was. Obviously. Here we, we are, two months later. this episode, like, three weeks ago. Literally. So, um, I did a case that's kind of ongoing at the moment, and then um, Alice literally texted me one night, and, like, we had to push our night back, and it was literally the day of, like, something really big that happened, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, because I thought it was going to be, like, a part two we'll touch on it later but no we got to do it all right now so that's super cool so like kind of a blessing in disguise that we got a little pushed back if you ask me i'm really excited so i want to know what this is i'm sure you've heard of this um but i did my case on the disappearance of Kristen smart i don't know if i know that oh my god really yeah okay heck yeah let's jump into it i think that's the first one you have not known alice is this a u.s one yeah okay it's literally happening like right now kind of okay i'll get into it okay all right so Kristen was born february 20th of 19 in 1997 um in germany both her parents were teachers she had one sister and one brother the Smart family moved to the U.S. when Kristen was a really young girl and settled down in Stockton, I think, California. Come on, guys. We know else. They're not great with our cities. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yes, down in Cali. Um, so there's not a lot that's been said about her childhood or anything that, like, led to her disappearance because it kind of was irrelevant. Like, it, like her upbringing had nothing to do with what happened. Um, just out of the blue. Yeah. Like, yep, this is kind of out of the blue. So, I mean, she grew up in California. Seems like a pretty normal family from what I read up on, so that's 
about that. So then when Kristen was a freshman student at California Polytechnic State University in 1996, um, that was her freshman year. So on Memorial Day of 96, she attended a birthday party for a friend. Um, Wait, when was she born? Nine, or 77. Okay, you said 1997, I think, before. Oh, I was like, I totally did. And then she's in college. She was born in 77. She went to college in 96. Okay, okay. Thank you for catching me. No, you're good. I just want to make sure. Yeah, she was like negative one when she went to college. <laughs> right? She was actually a fetus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Her dad was actually at the party, and they're just talking about her, like, yeah, in as a nutsack. Sperm. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Okay. No. She was a freshman in 96, so she was 18 or however the heck you're old. She was, yeah, uh, whatever. Like 18, yes. So, around 2 a.m., two students named Cheryl Anderson and Tim Davis found Kristen passed out on a neighbor's lawn. When I read this, I pictured something very similar happening um, as to someone on Pickle Christmas. And I think Alice can know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> we don't, names don't need to be named. She wasn't but... laying in snow, <laughs> though, Hey, I didn't say <laughs> In California, I don't know snow. Cough, cough, Gabriella. <laughs> cough, cough. I don't know what you're talking about. I did not leave my ID and debit card at the Pickle that day. <laughs> we backstory oh boy <laughs> pickle christmas the pickle is a bar in eau claire that the college students regular um it's not the nicest bar but, but it, has, everyone, it holds a special meaning to alice and i and most kids in this town there. yes and so, especially the kids from the country club so yes i agree of course so, we had to go to pickle christmas and we started drinking at 6 30 in the morning and we waited in line at like 8 30 in the morning yep. and pickle christmas was what that's in it December? was like the first it was like around or your birthday January. yeah no yeah it was december actually yeah. um we got we free were... shirts yeah <laughs> and i dropped mine on the floor someone at the stole bar, it and somebody stole it and yeah we waited in line in the cold at 8 a or 8 a.m for nothing and basically hey i saw my shirt it wasn't worth it it was worth it to me. I had a blast. <laughs> you and I had fun. You, you didn't have to work at 1 p.m. Yeah, that's true. All of our friends at the club had to go to work and I did not. So I watched Marriage Story, sobered up, cried my eyes out, and then went back to the pickle. <laughs> so that was that was my Saturday. <laughs> Whereas, well, Alice and our other friends were probably very hungover at the country club. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. I got my taste of my own medicine on that Sunday morning for Santa Brunch. Mm-hmm. All right. We all did. Jumping back into Miss Kristen Smart. So, all I'm saying is, Kristen, girlfriend, we relate to you on the lawn. It's we fine. Feel yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, Cheryl and Tim, great friends. They helped her up. Well, semi-great friends. They oh. helped her up, and they started to walk her back to the dorms. And as they did, another student, Paul Flores, joined on their walk home. And, you know, just four kids walking home to the dorms. Um, I don't know. I feel like freshman year even now you find your groups do you like see people in the street you link up normal right yeah no so (laughs) oh Oh. (laughs) so the first to leave the group was um tim davis he lived off campus and he had drove to the location of the party so he was like peace out girl scouts got a blast um on to the next (laughs) see you later so then next cheryl anderson left and um she split ways with the other two because her dorm had been closer to, like, in, from the direction they were walking. Mm-hmm. 
She told Floors he could take Kristen back to Paul. her door. Yeah, this, Paul Floors. This third guy that joined? Yes. So, and they, like, all knew each other, I'm guessing. Yeah. So, she was like, hey, take Kristen back to her dorm. Um, your dorms are, like, right next to each other. It just makes sense. Mine's here. Um, and then, like, you're dropping me off. You know, you guys are gonna keep going. Whatever. Yeah, that's usually how it goes, Yeah, too, you know. But, yeah, you're just dropping everybody day. off. Yeah. So, however, according to Floors, he only walked Kristen as far as his dorm and then allowed her to finish the walk by herself. Um, wow. Which I think is dumber than Bricks because she was just found in the lawn. Yeah. But whatever, the, Paul. The male figure. Um, yeah, hang on. Just, Not trying well, to, like, do that, but you know what I mean. Like, usually. Hang on. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, this is the last known site of Kristen Smart. Her disappearance was a long and slower process than normal. It was common for students to take, like, last-minute and unannounced trips, um, especially over Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. So, the campus police, like, took a very slow time in reporting a missing person to the local police because they were like, she probably took a trip. She'll be back. Like, she's just not gone. Like, you know, because it was just normal back then um, for them to just leave. You think she would? I know. You, she would have at least told somebody, You would think, though. yeah. So, then her disappearance was in the middle of the, the Lacey... I tell you. Yeah. But her disappearance was in the middle of the Lacey Peterson investigation, oh, which I touched on a couple episodes yes, you did. ago. Um, Pregnant. Yes. Lady yep. Right, yeah. yeah. So because of the timing, many rumors swirled that squirrel swirled that um, Scott Peterson, who was having an affair, cheating um, on Lacey, had something to do with Kristen's disappearance. Scott was really quick to deny any involvement, and police eventually ruled him out as a suspect. So. Mm-hmm. He did not have anything to do with it, but I mean, media, rumors, yeah. same area. I was say, I, I wonder why he, I don't, I don't know, I don't see the connection. I don't I, really either, but apparently it was just, I think that Lacey and Scott went to the school, if I am not mistaken. Oh, so, like, okay. all of this was kind of connected and he was cheating, so, like, I think they kind of said something like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so... My story, I'm not going to lie, is not that long, but no, we end, there's uh, quite a bit more to go, but, so, to this day, Kristen's body is still missing. Oh. She's never been found. However, there was an earring found at the former residence of Paul, Paul Floor's. Oh, I knew it. Paul Floor's mother's house was where they found this earring, and, um, it supposedly bro- belongs to Kristen. Unfortunately, that earring was never marked as evidence and has since been lost. Um, Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. So then between the years when of... Did, do you know when they found that? Was I don't. Like I think it was super early on. It seems okay. like because then it got lost in the mix and everything. Because okay. between the years of 96 and 2007, there was multiple search parties with no luck. And then on September 6th of 2016, police announced that they were investigating a new lead in her case. So like, new, for 07 to 16, yeah. Yes. Out. So police brought cadaver dogs and investigators for four days to excavate the Cali Pi campus, Cal Poly campus. And then after three days, there were items found that were like dug up at three different locations near Kristen's old dorm. As of 2020, these items were still being analyzed. So we don't know what they are. We don't know like how they're connected at all. We just know that they're being analyzed. Do you know how many items? No. We literally just know that there's, like, items from three different dig spots. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So then... I wonder if some of it's bones. Ooh. Well, possibly. (laughs) Is it? I don't know. I don't know anything. Oh, I thought you... No, no, no. We literally know nothing. Oh, my gosh. But 
this might help clear up some questions. So, because of Kristen's case and the slow response to the California state, or the slow response, the California state legislature signed into effect the Kristen Smart Campus Security Act, which went into effect January 1st of 99. So, we're backtracking a little bit, but it basically requires all public colleges and publicly funded educational institutions that make agreements between campus and law enforcement, um, to the report violent cases with students immediately. So nothing goes by on the weekends of, oh, they could go on vacation. Okay. Nope, you need to know right away. Um, and this includes all potential missing person cases. So, Damn. yeah, they were real quick to put that into act, which, great. You, um, you know, those, like, police buttons all around campus, yeah. that's what I was thinking that you were going to say at first. I was going to be like, no way, that those are because of her. Oh, well, but, I'm sure they were inspired by her, or, like, just having a stronger relationship yeah. of... Like, like yeah, and like reporting more to them. Um, so then Smart was declared legally dead on May 25th of 2002, so a long time ago. Her parents ended up filing a wrongful death case against Floors in 2005. In response, the Floors family filed a lawsuit against the Smart family for emotional distress. So they started going like at each other's necks, trying to figure out what happened, and like fighting each other basically for the emotional trauma. Yeah. Um, So, on January 18th of 2020, FBI informed the Smart family that there was additional news about Kristen's disappearance, but did not give much more information than that. So, they just said, we have some news, we're going to be opening the case again, and I think, I read some stories and others said that this wasn't true, but that they, like, informed the Smart family, but, like, didn't really share anything else. They were just, like, just lay low. I think they have to tell you. Probably. Like, if you're the, like, victim's family. next of kin, yeah. or PO, power of whatever. Power of attorney. Yeah, yep. POA. Um, I think you have to be, like, looped in with, like, so, to some extent. Stuff. Yeah. They can't just be like, something happened, but you're gonna have to wait and see. I but, think like, it was like, they're I still investigating they it. They just can't tell, um, like, news articles yeah. and shit, so. Yeah, that could be it, too. But, so, um... And January, so that was the 18th of last year. Now on the 29th of last year, um, the police department confirmed, of like that town, confirmed that two trucks owned by Floors were taken as an, as evidence. <gasps> oh my god! And then on February 5th, yeah. search warrants were, um, for specific items of evidence were then served at four different locations, two in town, one in Washington, and one in a home in L.A. County. During this time, Floors was detained for a short period of time. And then on April 22nd, 2020, Floor's home was searched and numerous items of interest were recovered from his home. <gasps> so now we're going to flash forward a year to February 11th, 2021. Oh my gosh, I'm going to shoot my pants. Wait, what's this guy's name again? Paul Floor's. Paul Floor's. So a news outlet reported that the LAPD arrested Floor's on suspicion of a felon of having a firearm. And then on March 15th of 2021, a search warrant was issued by, to search Ruben Flores, his father, and, um, like, his house. So the cadaver dogs again and ground-penetrating radars were brought into the search. Um, and they found an old VW that was seen towed from the home after cadaver dogs were searching the vehicle. And, like, I literally saw these updates on TikTok, actually, because I'm on true crime TikTok sometimes. I love that. Um, but, like, they literally have a video of them, like, pulling this VW, like, wagon away. And, like, so at this moment, I believe Paul and Ruben are in custody. Oh my or goodness. were, or, like, suspicious, or, like, 
people of interest um, as people who disappeared. And kind of the theory right now is that Paul, like, killed Kristen. Okay. And then his dad helped him cover it up. I was literally just about to ask you that. So his dad's in, like, his 70s now. I just looked the pictures up of him. Oh, yeah, did you just see them? Ruben, he's like an old fart. Yes, no, he literally is. So they are currently, like, being... The justice is justice. Like, yeah. Good. Yeah. So all these years later, it's getting, it. like... Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of evidence points. Um, I also think I read somewhere that they think that her body's, like, buried somewhere on the property. Um, but I also could have made that... I'm, like, pretty sure I read that yeah. somewhere. Or, like, that's a theory or something that she is there. So honestly, stay, like... In the news, yeah, keep your eyes open because, like, her body might be found soon. And I think it was just, like, a fun case to do because it's, like, literally unfolding before, like, the news right now. I have never heard of this. I know, I can't believe that. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Because I'm literally me, like, looking up. Like, looking up updates now. (laughs) I really want, like, I really want them to come forward and just, like, if they did it, like, explain, like, what happened. Like, yeah. Because why the fuck did he kill her? If he Who knows? did, like, if he did, I'm not saying that he did because it's not ruled yet. But like, they literally were walking home from partying, and he fucking what kills her? Yeah. In the middle of this like or like one. maybe she didn't go home with him. Like, I just it's yeah. wild. And to then me. called up his dad and was just and it was like probably up, like, freaking I just out. Killed somebody. And he's yeah. Like, All right, let's. I'll come get her. Like, whoa, that's intense. I'm gonna look up quick Paul Floor's updates. See if we've gotten anything, but as of before I checked, hmm, three hours ago, actually, um, DNA linked Paul Flores to a 2007 rape investigation. Oh, shoot. Maybe it was something like... Of, oh yeah, 14 years ago. Like what you just said, maybe he like attacked her or something. Yeah. Or tried to take her home and she wasn't having it and like they ended up fighting. Yeah. And maybe he like like, got mad and killed her or something. Yeah, so, wow. yes, um, neighbors point to Floor's yard as likely location of Kristen Smart's body. So, that, yeah. They're, like, in the process of literally trying to find anything to put, like, this case together at this point. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say just keep watching the news. Yeah, and we can, like, once updates. Oh, yeah, I'm so we'll excited inf- and we'll ready. Yeah, you. and we yeah. can probably post, like, about it. Definitely. But it should be, like... Yeah, it'd be cool very to interesting. Maybe even if like anything else big comes out, if they yeah. can explain the story to just do like another like recap. Like, two, yeah, because yeah, awesome. then we'll like hopefully we will find out soon what actually happened to Kristen because I think she deserves justice. So yeah, that poor girl. Yeah, literally no reason at all. No, just trying to have a good night. Exactly. And that's what, it's scary. Like going yeah, out sometimes I think of like all the freshman girls like Kristen. yeah like you're really young you just come to college and you get like fucking hammered out of the bars or at these parties and, like, and then you're walking home with all these people like you just yeah met in college so it's yes like, like new friends in college and stuff that's scary yes i agree so justice for Kristen. Hopefully yeah we'll see some soon i know i'm really hoping Ooh, that was a good one all right well, my case that I'm going to do today is also kind of like, I want to do a follow-up one after Oh, heck yeah, okay. But um, I'll explain more about that after. Okay. And you'll 
more understand why. Okay. We need to figure out what happens to this lady, and um, this is an international case. She's from Australia. This is Melbourne, Australia. And this is the case of Phoebe Hanstruck. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, okay. Yes, Alice got me into this case. And I'm finally doing it. Heck yeah. Because, yeah, might as well, right? Yeah. I'm getting like all my favorite ones out of the way. (laughs) So. <clears throat> Phoebe Hansjuck was born on May 9th of 1986, uh, somewhere near Melbourne, Australia. She was born as a healthy baby to her father, Len, who was a psychologist, and her mother, Natalie Hansjuck. Phoebe was the eldest of three, and um, she had two younger brothers, Tom and Mikolai. Phoebe, her whole life, I know Mikolai is like her, kind of a cool name. Yeah. It's like, to have Tom and then Nikolai. Yeah. I like that. It's like Michael, but like the fancy name. But like Nico and Michael mixed. Yeah. So, Phoebe was also really close to her grandma, Jeanette, her whole life. She would go to her grandma for anything. Like, that was like her family member that she was the closest mm-hmm. with. Um, her grandma was like just super cool and badass. Like, gave it to her straight. Oh, like, yeah. talks about how she experimented with drugs all the time. <laughs> like, just... Cool. Alice grandma. is a grandma. <laughs> True that. Um, so growing up, Phoebe was known as a very free-spirited and wild child. She enjoyed the rich fantasy world of her own imagination. She was very creative. She was always journaling or doodling, like just very in touch with her emotional creative side, yeah. which made her very extremely sensitive as well. Um, was she a Pisces? I think... No, May 9th. Oh, Taurus. Taurus, yeah. So, um, she was also really active. Like, she was, like, this tiny, like, 5'2", skinny, fit girl. She was gorgeous. We'll post a picture of her, but she has this really short black hair, like, a little stud in her upper lip. What? Okay. Sorry, she just, every time you say Phoebe from Australia, it reminds me of the Phoebe from H2O. And I just wanted to share that. Oh. <laughs> to make Dude, sure I that it was that Phoebe. That show so much. Who did it? <laughs> I love their accents. No. Even though sometimes I couldn't understand them, I'd be like, yes, mate. Nerd. <laughs> <No. laughs> okay. All right, anyways. Got my Australia. Um. She was a very likable individual and had a lot of friends growing up. She was very popular and was, like, the social butterfly. She'd yeah. walk up to anybody. I know you're fine. She'd walk up to anybody and could talk Strict to any strangers. Yeah. Um, people were always really drawn to her, too. She had that, like, mysterious side to her. She was just very, like, she attracted a lot of people. And especially older men. <laughs> we'll get into that, though. She loves her older men. Um, so, unfortunately, when Phoebe was a teenager, her parents divorced, and she took it very hard. She actually ended up not talking to her dad for a little bit after the divorce, so I don't know if it had anything, like, to do with him cheating yeah. or anything. I didn't really read anything much on that, but they eventually built it back up when they were older, so. That's good. Yeah. Phoebe struggled with anxiety and depression, and she started to experiment with drugs and alcohol at a younger age, like 14. Sheesh. Yeah, I know. 
She also started using antidepressants at the age of 16, but was on and off of them and would, pres- like, prescribe them herself, if that makes sense. Oh. Yeah, like, she would get them, wouldn't take them for a while, and then, like, randomly start Oh, like, them taking them type. again? Yeah. Okay. Her dad was a psychologist, but, like, conflict of interest, he didn't want Phoebe to see him, and, like, he didn't want his practice to look like unethical mm-hmm. like he was giving his daughter stuff yeah. so he like she did see somebody else that wasn't her dad and he like hated it because he was like i know what's best for her but like i just don't think that's good for my career yeah so, that was hard for him phoebe and her friends they started to go out to the clubs and bars around the age of 13 years old yeah oh boy i don't know how the fuck they get in but because i'm fucking 22 and i still can barely get in (laughs) (laughs) they like look at my id like five times like are you sure really (laughs) um but so they were really young obviously and they would only go out with like 20 bucks between like five of them yeah but since they were these young girls and phoebe was this like attractive young mysterious girl all of them would come back just, like, sloshed, and apparently Phoebe would come back with, like, handfuls of drugs that she just would get off of random guys. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, like, they're wild. Yeah. So, the older men were always really drawn to Phoebe because she wasn't only beautiful, she was, like, erratic and, like, seemed like you can't hold her down. Like, they wanted to be the one to be, like... Her settler down, so you know weird. what I yeah. mean? Yeah, and she's thirteen. Yeah, yeah, but I hate that. And it's like maybe it's her childish energy still. Who knows? <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. So Phoebe, like I said, ended up being very infatuated with older men, and it was kind of a pattern that ran in her family. So like her mom and her grandma would date and married like a lot of older men. Hmm. So they think that maybe that was like. Phoebe caught on and was like, yeah. I'm, into, I'm into that. Like, I have to do that, too. Yeah. She, at the age of 16, was actually dating a teacher that was twice her age. Oh, cute. 32, yeah. And he actually lived with the family for a little bit until they broke up. <sighs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Just, like, fucked up. And she had a couple of other relationships with older men as well. And all of them usually started, like, really fun and glorious but then after it would start to get serious it would get really messy and it was typically because phoebe had a really bad drinking and drug problem okay so they wouldn't like that they wouldn't like how out of control she was yeah and she was just you can't hold me down baby yeah <laughs> get out for the, the next get off. yeah yeah so when phoebe was 23 years old she met a man named anthony hample and he goes by the name Ant. Okay. Um, Ant was in his early 40s. He was handsome, successful, and he was an event promoter in Melbourne. And he had promoted events for Michael Jackson, Prince, Bill Clinton, ACDC, and more. But yeah, he's wow. like, yeah, yeah. He's kind of big shit. So. Yeah. Um, Ant was also the son of a retired Supreme Court judge, George Hample. It was the stepson of a county court judge, Felicity Hample. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. Key information. Like yes. 
So, it was a regular at the Lindley Godfrey Hair Salon, which was an upscale celebrity hair salon where Phoebe worked as a receptionist, and that's where they met. Um, the two started dating, and about six months into the relationship, Phoebe moved in with Ant into his luxury unit at the Balencia Apartments. And they're, like, really fancy. I looked them up, and I was like, damn. Like, get it, okay. girl. Get yeah. it, get it, get it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> After moving in with Aunt, Phoebe started to talk to her friends and family about how much Aunt would put her down and make her feel stupid. So Don't love that. Toxic, yeah. Toxic relationship. It's not what you want. Um, Aunt had made Phoebe quit her job at the hair salon, actually, and said that the physician wasn't of their standard and made her get a job at an ad agency instead. So, like, he was like, we're bougie, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're not receptionists. We're not a receptionist anymore. Even though it was at this, like, fancy celebrity Like, his salon. salon. Yeah. So I'm like, Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Phoebe told friends that Aunt had control issues and didn't always allow her to have a voice in the relationship, and she was feeling like she wanted to leave him. Which, go girl. You go. On October 20th, 2010, Phoebe left the Balencia apartments with full intentions of leaving Aunt and never coming back. Mm-hmm. Okay? So Phoebe goes and visits her grandma Jeanette, which I think was like a couple hours away from the apartments. And she tells her grandma everything. She's like, I want to leave Aunt. I want to quit my job at that stupid ad agency. Like, mm-hmm. fuck that place. And I want to come and live with you. I want to try to get sober. And she also had this dream of going to India and volunteering there. Okay. That's, like, her life dream. Yeah. So she's like, I'm ready. Like, I want to do this. Like... I want to grow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Her grandma supported her completely, obviously. She was like, yes, bitch. Like, Finally. Yeah. Yeah. But I want you to do it, like, the mature way. I don't want you to run away. I want you to end this life and then go to the next one. So she's like, I want you to go back. I want you to break up with Aunt in person. I want you to put your weekly notice in at work. And I want you to just do this right. Okay. Phoebe's like, all right, I will. She decides she's going to stay with her grandma for a couple more days, though, to just get her head straight. And she ended up going to an AA meeting Mm. while she is with her grandma as well. So she's, like, getting real about this. During the AA meeting, she was really frazzled and talked about Aunt and her relationship usually most like, the whole time, mm-hmm. and a couple people from the meeting actually made statements and said that, um, the whole time Phoebe's phone was, like, blowing up, like, ringing, ringing, ringing constantly and constantly, and she kept making comments, like, oh, that's him, like, I wish he would just leave me alone, so, like, Aunt would not stop calling her, and I'm assuming AA meetings are, like, not, like, super short, so you just call him for, like, an hour or yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're not short. Like you're not gonna be able to sit down for like ten minutes. Like it's <laughs> I am an alcoholic, hi bye. Hey, thanks, bye, see ya. <laughs> Out the door. Alright, yeah. So about two days after the AA meeting, Phoebe decided that she's gonna give Aunt another try. And oh, October 24th, she left her grandma's and moved back into the Balencia apartments with Aunt. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know what? Whatever. We all make mistakes. 
A month later, Phoebe and Aunt, um, they go to a friend's house for dinner. Her name's Linda. And the two, Aunt and Phoebe, ended up getting in a huge fight at dinner, and Aunt ended up storming out and leaving Phoebe at this friend's house. So, Linda was like, well, okay, like, you can stay here, like, let's talk. And the two ended up staying up all night drinking, and Phoebe told Linda, like, I want to leave him, I want to go to India, and I want to volunteer, like, everything she was telling her grandma, she told Linda. And Linda was like, girl, like, you need to, like, Mm -hmm. if that's what you want, like, do that, like, that, you guys were just fighting, that was not good. Yeah. So the next morning, Linda, the good friend she is, she drives Phoebe to the apartments when Aunt's gone at work, and they pack up all of her stuff, and then they have Linda stay at, or they have Phoebe stay at Linda's house again that night, and then the next morning, she was supposed to leave to go to her grandma's house. Okay. So, on November 20th, 2010, the morning that Phoebe was supposed to leave for her grandma's, Phoebe woke up, Linda and her her got ready, and then Aunt called Phoebe and asked her if she could meet up and talk. She said yes, and they met up and talked, and right after, Phoebe moved back into the apartments with Aunt. Yeah. (laughs) She moved back in? Yeah. After moving out a second time. Mm Mm-mm. Three days later, on November 23rd, Phoebe's dad, Len, receives a call from Phoebe saying that Aunt had kicked her out and that she needed him to come pick her up three days after moving back in. So she's moving out for the third time Yeah. So Len, being the good dad, cancels all of his appointments and drove to bring Phoebe back to live with him and her brother, Tom. Two days later, on November 25th, <gasps> Phoebe say. went to have dinner with Aunt. Oh my god. <laughs> Where he then begged her to take him back. And what did she do, Gabby? She took him back. She moved back into the Valencia She moved back in? Why does she keep moving Aunt? in? Why can't she just go date him? Why you gotta right. move in every time? Right, maybe that would be the wise choice. To, oh like, my god. Together, maybe just have separate places and casually work back into it. Like, why are we jumping off the cliff, climbing back up, also, jumping off the cliff? If I was helping Phoebe move in and out, in and out, in and out, I'd probably kill her myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Phoebe. R.I.P. <laughs> Literally. Like, but, like, her poor family and, like, everyone just seeing it happen. Like, girl, what are you Yes. Doing? The only person that can change that mindset is you. So, like, she was just so wrapped up into it. Which yeah. I don't know why. He's not, like, he's handsome for, like, a 40-year-old. But he's not, like, <laughs> moved back into the Balenciaga apartments four times handsome. Like, <laughs> like, no, he's I'm not sorry. Chris Evans. No, he's not. And she is. So, like, I don't know what the Like, girl, is. what is this? Yeah. So, that following morning, after she moved back in to the Blunty Apartments, um, was Monday, November 29th, and Phoebe and her dad had breakfast together. She told her dad that her and Aunt were planning to go to Paris together. Um, she also told him that her and Aunt wanted to take him out for a dinner for his birthday at Phoebe's favorite restaurant, The Golden Triangle, on that upcoming Thursday, so in, like, three days from this. Okay. Um, Len obviously agrees, and they finish breakfast and leave. The next morning of November 30th, Phoebe made an emergency call to her therapist, asking if she had an opening for the day. 
but unfortunately her therapist was booked and she told Phoebe if you really need to talk to somebody call like a local hospital or something okay Phoebe called the hospital but I don't think she got what she was looking for because then she called back to the therapist and the therapist was like I'm really sorry like I literally can't see you damn and so Phoebe ended up calling a bunch of her friends and texting them to answer their phones or she'd quote-unquote leave the world so she was having some sort of like emotional episode like something yeah. was going on she ended up getting in contact with one of her friends from art school a few years ago and the two met up near the Valencia apartments for coffee around 4 p.m okay the two talked about life they both had relationship problems going on they had a really good deep conversation mm-hmm Phoebe again mentions going to India and that um, aunt made her feel like small and weak and that she wanted more and wanted to leave him. So after the two talked, Phoebe convinces this friend to drive her across town so that they could get some drugs. And so the guy agrees and the two drove and picked up some ecstasy tabs and then they drive back to this guy's house. Mm Mm-hmm. Phoebe ends up taking at least one of the tabs before they get back to his house. The guy Mm -hmm. later makes a statement. Um, Something had happened at the house that, like, made Phoebe really upset. I don't know if it was the drugs, because that would probably do it. Yeah. Um, The guy also said that she tried to kiss him, and he refused, but Phoebe, like, demanded to drive her back home, like, right afterwards. So, I don't know. Like, I don't know what actually yeah. happened, but so he does. Like, mm-hmm. as soon as she's, like, taking him, he's like, okay. So on the way there, Phoebe tells him to pull over, and she actually gets out on the side of the road and just walks home the rest of the way. So she's, like, having, like, a crazy... Yeah, crazy oh, my moment. God. And these two, like, haven't talked in, like, years. So this guy's probably like, what the fuck? Yeah, literally, like, why did I go get coffee with her? Um, so the guy says that he dropped her off on the side of the road around, like, 9.30 p.m. Okay. Um, records show that Phoebe doesn't get back to Aunt's apartment until, like, around 12.30 a.m., and nobody (laughs) knows what she was doing. I mean, it could have been, like, a really long walk. Yeah. But, who knows. Anyways, though, the next morning, the day of December 1st, 2010, Aunt woke up around 8.30 a.m. and went to work. That same morning at around 10.30 a.m., Phoebe's dad, her mom... Her, both of her brothers, her grandma and aunt, were all sent a text from Phoebe in a group message, and it says, Hi family, I am in bed about to sleep, and when I wake, I will transform into the most incredible human being, psych, you've ever seen, not. I will go to hospital. It's safer there, and I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious. Nutritious. I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry about that, but next time, or sorry about that, but time is sleep and I must be on my way. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream, XO. What the hell? (laughs) What would you do if you received that text from, like, your sister or something? I'd probably go get her, like. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so, like, her mom and her grandma were obviously obviously like what the fuck 
and they were very concerned. Yeah. And so the grandma um, called Aunt, actually, and was like, hey, um, I don't know if you saw the text that we all just got from Phoebe. And he was like, text? What? Oh, I didn't see it. She's like, yeah, she sent a weird text. Um, Can you make sure she's okay? Like, you're the closest one to her. Mm Because I think everyone's, like, kind of, like, farther away. Okay. So he's like, um, yeah, I will stop by the house later and check up on her later when I have time on lunch. So Later, motherfucker? Yeah. So she's like, okay. Something interesting about this. Um, in a police statement that Aunt makes later, he says that when he left for work that morning, he ended up taking Phoebe's phone to get it fixed. Oh. But, like... How did she send that text then? If it was getting fixed, yeah. Yeah. Or did he take it? Or, like, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. So, um, also, he never mentioned it to the grandma either. I wrote that down. Like, she calls and mentions a text, but, like, if he had her phone, why didn't she tell yeah. the grandma that he had Sketchy. I, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, he does also mention, oh, Okay, yeah, no, never mind. So, he does mention in the same police statement that he does go back and check up on her sometime during the day. Because then, after the grandma called, like, maybe an hour later, he calls her back and is like, yeah, she's fine. I just went and checked on her. She'll call you later. Okay. So, but according to key fob records in the apartment, he never came to check on her. He literally came home at the end of his shift at 7 p.m. Huh. And these key fob records, like, are on point. Yeah. It's, since it's a luxury apartment, you need to use this key fob to open any single door. Yeah, so and it's registered this, to them. Exactly. So if you're going in the elevator, key fob. If yeah. If you're going in the garbage chute, key fob. If you're going in a stairwell, key fob. If you're going in the garage door, key fob. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a record of him coming home and checking on her that day okay so he also lied to the grandma and the police saying that he did that um so the mm, aunt then stated in his report later that night the two decided to stay home because phoebe was really hungover from her night before of partying and on ecstasy Mm -hmm. and shit in around 8 p.m., Phoebe does end up calling her dad, Len. Okay. And they discuss how she was feeling, how she was hungover, and then they discuss the dinner plans for the next night for her dad's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, the com- combo went on a little bit longer, and then they hung up. The next day, I am going to start this day off in, like, aunt's point of view of what he told in the police statements okay. of what happened okay because there's gonna be like two different points of view of this story mm-hmm. so the next morning the day of december 2nd 2010 aunt woke up around 8 30 a.m as usual and left for work leaving phoebe in bed at around 9 40 a.m records show that phoebe used the computer and had sent a couple emails And then about two hours later, around 11.45 a.m., the fire alarm went off in the building, and everyone, like, had to evacuate. And cameras caught Phoebe evacuating and then re-entering the building and going back into the apartment. Okay. This is the last um, picture of Phoebe ever being alive. Okay. This camera footage of her from the fire alarm. But it does show her going back into the apartments. Okay. 
So, later that day, around 6 p.m., Ant drives into the parking garage. When he arrives into the apartment, he notices that Phoebe isn't there, but her purse, her keys, and her... Yeah, her purse and her keys are still on the counter, which is odd because, like I said, if you leave the apartment, you need your key to get back in. So, like, he was like, what? Like, why wouldn't she grab those? Aunt also states that he noticed Phoebe's phone was on the counter and her dad, Len, was calling her. So, Aunt decides to pick it up. He tells Len that he has been trying to get a hold of Phoebe to to confirm, or, I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself. The dad tells Aunt, like, he's trying to confirm dinner plans and wants to know, like, what's up. And, um, Aunt tells Len that he hasn't seen Phoebe, but she left her purse and her keys, so she's probably not far. And Len was like, like, what do you mean? Like, she's not there. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, she's not here, I haven't seen or heard from her, but, like, well, I'll get in contact with you. So they hang up, and Len is still, like, eerie about this. Like, he's like, I don't know, just something just didn't feel right. Yeah. So he decides to call um, her mom and her brother Tom, who decides to start contacting a bunch of Phoebe's friends to just see where she could be. Because, like, it is like her, like, erratic her to just go out and be crazy and drink and stuff. But, like, usually someone would know where she was. Yeah. Um... Len calmed himself down and decided, you know what, I'm going to get ready for dinner, and we'll go to dinner, and it'll be fine. Yeah. She'll show up, because she, even though she was this crazy girl, she was so family-driven and cared about her family so much, like, this wasn't something that she would miss. Mm -hmm. Like, she took this stuff very serious. Yeah. So he was a little worried. Um, back at the apartment, while Len's getting ready and everyone's calling friends, Aunt decides to call the Golden Triangle and take out for one. The restaurant that they were supposed to go to for dinner with Phoebe's dad, and he calls and gets takeout delivered for one person. What the hell? So that means that he was not expecting Phoebe to be back for this so-called takeout dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. So... He's waiting for his food. The delivery guy arrives to the apartments and buzzes up to Aunt. And when Aunt buzzes down, the delivery driver says, What's going on here, man? And Aunt's like, like, what are you talking about? And the guy's like, There's a bunch of cops and ambulances lining the streets outside. It took me forever to get through and, like, they won't let me up. Like, sorry. Like, you're going to have to come down here. I hope your food's not cold. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Aunt is like, what the fuck? So, he makes his way down to the lobby, and, like, the guy said, there's a bunch of policemen, like, officers, um, and there's an ambulance as well, and he asks the detective what's going on, and the policeman says that they have found a woman's body in the trash compactor room. Aunt starts to kind of, like, panic, and he tells the police that his girlfriend has been missing and asks him if it could have been her. And the police officer's like, I don't fucking know. Like, what does your girlfriend look like? Yeah. And before telling him, like, okay, she has black hair, she has this, he starts telling the officer, she was super depressed and she takes antidepressants and I worked all day, but came to check on her and now she's gone. And the officer's like, okay, what does she look like? Yeah. And then he tells her, like, um, dark hair, she has this tattoo on her wrist that's, like, the same as mine. Like, they had matching tattoos, which, yeah. Yeah. And 
um, she had a stud in her upper lip, that's what he told them to, and they were like, okay, yeah, um, you should go get a picture of her from your apartment, just so we can, like, identify this woman. Yeah. Because they think that it's her. So, Ant goes up, he grabs the pictures, and the detectives are like, alright, yeah, like, what's her name, like, getting the information, because they're, like, pretty sure that it's her. Mm-hmm. So now... I am going to... Okay, and then they ask, after they confirm it, if they can go um, look through Aunt's apartment for some more, like, evidence or something since, like, she was there that day. Yeah. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about what exactly happened to Phoebe's body being found and how the police and ambulance come to scene. Okay. So, the day of December 2nd, 2010, a concierge that worked in the building named Beth arrives for her shift around 4 p.m. Eric, who is the apartment manager, explains to Beth that they had recently serviced the garbage compactor and that she's going to need to go check up on it later just to make sure, like, everything's fine and working properly. Mm-hmm. Which, yikes, <laughs> poor Beth is all I have to say. Yeah, poor Beth. So, later in her shift, around, like, 6.30 p.m., Beth goes to check on the trash compactor. She gets to the room... And unlocks the door to check on the machine and tries to open it, but there's something, like, blocking the door. Yeah. Like, can't get it all the way, so she pushes super hard with her shoulder, and it's one of those doors that, like, automatic light, so when you open the door, like, light automatically just fills the room. Like, you oh, have to God, click yeah. Thing so the first thing that she noticed, like, when the light comes on, is that there's one of the bins from the conveyor belt was knocked over that catches like the trash coming from the compactor mm-hmm. it was knocked over and there was trash all over the room which isn't normal and then she also noticed there was something lying between the door and the wall which first looks like a mannequin she gets a little closer and she noticed that it's bleeding and it was very much so a dark-haired woman laying on her back Jeez. yeah So, as soon as she sees that, she fucking completely freaks out, shuts the door quickly, and there's actually, like, footage of her on the cameras, like, pacing the hallway, just being like, what the fuck, what the fuck, because, like, she literally, like... Found a dead... She's at work. Yeah. Like, that's literally, like, us showing up at the club, like, walking in the locker room or something and, like, finding that. Yeah. Like, you're not there, you were not prepared for that. No. You're just trying to get your shift over, poor Bethany. Yeah. So... She goes back after she, like, takes a little bit to make sure, like, that's exactly what she saw before she calls anybody. Mm -hmm. And she opens the door again, and she now notices that there's a bunch of blood, like, trails around the room, like, smeared and shit. And there's blood on the walls, there's a blood trail leading from the compactor to the body behind the door. And the back of the door had blood on it as well. So then she screams, runs out, and calls her manager immediately, who tells her to call 911. Yeah. Um, immediately, he, the manager, comes, and then police and ambulance are on the scene, like, right after. Yeah. So around 7.15 p.m. is when all of these cars, um, or not cars, police, ambulance, yeah. detectives, and all the people arrive. A paramedic who had been assigned to the scene named Christy Cook says that she ran to the compactor room where she could clearly see the body laying on the floor. And before she could enter the room, the policeman guarding the room actually told her that she couldn't enter because it was a crime scene. 
and she was like but i'm i'm like a paramedic like i'm here to take her vitals like to see if she's still alive and they're like no you actually can't do that like this is a crime scene so i would like to point out that throughout this whole case no one took her vitals ever they just declared her dead hmm ever and that's like what you're supposed to do right yeah. away like how they found her like i don't know if there was much that they could do for her but like preservation of life is like key in um medical fields and like you have to check and, like vitals before you can call time a death exa- right yes yeah. exactly and also with what you just said is it made the coroner like it made it so hard for the coroner to even say time of death yeah like, point that out because they didn't have any of those vital normal things to go exactly like there's just so many things that weren't done in this case that if they did do them i honestly think they would know exactly what happened yeah probably so um anyways the first people to actually enter the compactor room were crime investigation specialists hours after the body was even found so they waited hours before anyone even went in there and like did like a full description of like the room what the hell yeah so um they investigators believed that phoebe had been in the trash compactor and had crawled out of the compactor and around the room after being in the compactor which was why there was blood like smeared yeah and she got to the door and was trying to get out that's their theory which ends up being like yeah that's what happened yeah So, while the investigation is going on, Eric, the apartment manager, remembers, hey, we have camera footage. Like, we have cameras set up in this area. You might be able to see, like, who went into the compactor room. But the system has been having issues and has been taping over itself too quickly. So, like, you need to, like, if you want to watch it, you're going to need to go in there and get it right now. Yeah. And that's why he... Is such a good guy because he goes to them right away and he's like, hey, like, I have this. Like, here, Mm -hmm. take this. Police, don't take the footage. Don't go to retrieve it. And when they finally do, it's too late. And that footage is gone forever. What the heck? Yeah. Which, like, literally, that's what, like, he... Key. Yeah, that's like the one thing you the, hey, literally this could end yeah. this investigation right now. Has the person walking into exactly. it. Exactly. So... Um, at 8.45 p.m., Detective Buttersworth arrived at the scene and took over the case. He went into the compactor room and made his description of what he observed. He saw a slim-built young woman with spiky black hair and pale skin. She was wearing a gray t-shirt with jeans with a belt. Her jeans were pulled down to her knees, but her underwear were in place. Which is interesting. Yeah, that's weird. He also noticed that her right foot was severely injured and had been severed and only hanging on by tendons and muscles. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, it, like, makes my foot hurt. Yeah. Like, I, like, ooh. They um, also noticed along the left side or right side of her body that there's also a bunch of distinct cuts up her legs and back. And he noticed... The trash and a smeared blood trail around the room and the bin knocked over. 
Um, he also noticed the blood on the door and determined that she obviously had been in the compactor and crawled to the door to try to get out, but couldn't. Mm-hmm. So now I am going to switch back to the police going up to the investigate the apartment. Okay. Where we left off with Aunt. Yep. So they're in the apartment and they marked broken glass on the floor, a couple spots of blood in different rooms, and they found scribbled sticky notes on the counter that Phoebe, I guess, would draw when she was hammered. So she was, like, writing just random nonsense. Mm-hmm. And outside of the apartment, they also find blood in the room on the 12th floor, which is the floor that Aunt and Phoebe's apartment was on, in the room and on the doorknob that contained the trash chute. Yeah. I okay. know, right? I know, right? Um, so police searched the apartment, but they never ended up closing off it off as a crime scene. You mean like they did in With, the compact room, Yeah. But they never do this for the apartment. So aunt's family and friends are literally walking around while, like, the police are in there trying to get evidence. So the evidence is, like, misconstrued. Yeah. They also go into the compactor room, and they find the blood in there, but I guess, I don't know what happens with the blood. I think it ends up being con- misconstrued or something like that, too. Um, but there's no, it's a stainless steel door yeah. to go into the trash chute. And if you've touched anything stainless steel, you know damn well your fingerprints are going to be on that thing. Yeah. Clean. Clean. Nobody's fingerprints were on there, actually. Like, nobody that even lived in the apartment buildings and shit. Mm, I'm sure. Yeah. So, the trash compactor had a large blade that compacted the trash into the chute and was usually set to automatic. So, continuously chopping shit up. Yeah. Obviously. So, whatever was going in there was getting chopped up, like, into pieces. Yeah. Like, I literally think of Monsters, Inc., yeah. And he thinks Boo is in, in the thing, yeah. Like, little square, and he's like, ah, like, yeah. Um, so that's what I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. like, those blocks. And so, yeah, um, there's blood inside the compactor, obviously. Um, but that automatic note that I just made, that if it's set to automatic, anything in there would be chopped up. Yep. Keep that in mind. So, Ant, at this point calls Len and breaks the news to him. Hey, Phoebe's actually dead. They found her. And Len just falls to the floor, heartbroken. Yeah. He knows now he has to call everyone else who he has looking for Phoebe to tell them the news. Yeah. So he called his son, Tom, to come to his house so he could tell Tom in person. And then Len also called Natalie to break her the news. And he goes, I hope you're sitting down. She's dead. They found her near the rubbish bins in her apartment. She fell to the ground and screamed, and her husband, Russell, actually had to come out and carry her inside. Oh, no. Russell then called her grandma and tells her, who is obviously devastated, and everyone is just super confused because they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. In a garbage chute? Like, she's found in a garbage chute. Yeah. Like, this is just a really odd situation. Mm-hmm. So, Phoebe's t- body is taken to the hospital and is declared dead at 4.30 a.m. on Friday, December 3rd, nine hours after her body is found. 
No one had given Phoebe medical attention, like I said. They had just checked her as soon as she got to the hospital nine hours later. So, after the hospital, her body is obviously sent to the coroner for more examination. The coroner, who was known to actually have close relations with aunt's parents, who are both judges, um, her family is supposed to come. They come to identify her body, mm-hmm. and they told the family that they were going to perform an autopsy on Phoebe's body just to see, like, if they can find anything else. Yeah. Um, the dad really was, he knows what goes on in the autopsy, and he's like, I just don't want to picture my daughter, like, chopped up like that. Yeah. The coroner says, well, you don't really have a choice because aunt registered as the senior next of kin. How? Because he said that they were in, what is it, some kind of relationship, I forgot what it's called. Some kind of relationship because they had been living together. Oh, and that. his dad, who's a judge, actually signed off on it. And his dad had signed off on dates that apparently, like, they made the relationship seem like it was longer than it was. The starting date was before Phoebe and Aunt had actually even met. So they said that they were together for like two years That's or something. That's so sketchy. Yeah. So... Senior next of kin, this means that he obviously gets to make all of the decisions regarding Phoebe's body, mm-hmm. and the body would then be released to him. So her parents are like, what the actual fuck? Who does this guy think he is? Yeah, literally. Um, the parents tried to file a lodge application so that they could be the senior next of kin, but it didn't go through. Yeah, because what judge would cross that judge? Exactly. So... Back at the apartment, investigators continue to check for fingerprints, blood, take pictures, and check just check for any other evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, there were no fingerprints found on the stainless steel mm-hmm. trash chute, which is like one of the biggest, biggest Red things flag. you look yeah. for. Yeah. So after December 3rd, they waited three whole days to continue the investigation, which is ridiculous because you need to start right away. They waited three whole days in a murder investigation? Yeah. Hmm. Aren't you supposed to start... The first 48 hours are, like, Critical, the most crucial. Yeah. yeah. And they waited 72. What the hell? <laughs> so... So everything they could have done wrong in this case, they literally did wrong. They also didn't take statements from Eric, the apartment manager, alibis for Ant, saying, like, where he was those days, um, until months after the investigation began, and sometimes, some of them even a year what? later. Yeah. What? The trash, that gives you a long time yeah. to just store it down good. No I'll kidding. I'll tell you that, but, um, the trash chute manufacturers were never contacted to discuss how the trash chute, like, works, and if it was even possible for her body to be in the conditions that she was mm-hmm. going into the chute. So, Phoebe's grandpa was actually a detective and was deeply concerned about the trash chute and didn't think that it made sense. So, he later um, ends up looking into it more with the manufacturers. And like I said, they said if Phoebe were to go in there, she would have so many, like, much worse injuries to her body, not just, like, what she had. Yeah. And so they said somebody must have had to switch it to manual, put her in, to put her in there, mm-hmm. first of all, and then switch it back to automatic. Yeah. Um, 
her also the way that this is gonna be ruled i don't want to spoil it but like spoiler alert they if she were to put herself in there like all by herself yeah her fingerprints would have been all over the trash chute. there's no way she yeah. would have been able to like wipe it before she went down yeah like, they would have been in there yes so they were just really confused they brought in two girls the same size as phoebe and did a couple of um, demonstrations too to see how they would have had to fit down the chute and stuff yeah and both girls struggled really hard to get themselves in them they're themselves like really yeah because like it was one of those ones where if you open the door it would shut really fast so like if you're getting yourself in there it would like shut on your back yeah and you'd get stuck and then like it was like kind of narrower down so their feet and their shoulders were getting stuck like she would have had to like really i like, don't know be quick yeah in the trash chute so on the date of december 7th phoebe's body was released and aunt allowed her body to be released to the family how nice of him yeah wow and then later that day before phoebe like her death has not been ruled Mm -hmm. anything yet they're still it's still open aunt decides to post a message on facebook he goes for those of you around the world that don't know the sad news my partner phoebe struggled with terrible depression for much of her life she took her life on Thursday to ease her pain, to be at peace. There will be a memorial next week. Her death has not been ruled a suicide. Yeah, what? Took her own life. Bullshit. How? Yeah. Oh, she's, she decided to take it through the trash chute. Yeah. That's the most painful way. Yeah, literally. And I'm, I'm sorry. Um, so like I said, her, nothing has been ruled yet. Um, the next day, though, on December 8th, Aunt wrote an email to Len and Natalie telling him how upset he was that they had tried to challenge his position as senior next of kin. He also says that he worked so hard for everything he's done for Phoebe and his family, and he had no objection with allowing them to be in route of info coming from the coroner, so he was deeply saddened and felt like betrayed by them basically okay buddy okay yeah did you carry phoebe around for nine months no you barely keep her in your fucking apartment for nine months buddy fucking chopped her up in the garbage chute literally not i mean not saying that he did it because we don't need aunt hample out here like fucking suing us ever oh yeah (laughs) yikes sheesh (laughs) not that he would ever listen to this but if you are aunt fuck you fuck you Um, he let the parents know also in the email that he was going to allow them to arrange the funeral and cremation as well, because he's such a nice guy. Yeah. What a fucking genuine soul. Right. And it also states that he was doing everything right and he is frustrated by the way that things have been going. Okay, drama queen, pack it up. (laughs) I know. Oh my god. Literally. And this family just lost their daughter, like, five days ago. You're really gonna try to put them through this shit? Literally, what a narcissist. Like, spinning it completely onto him. Uh, I agree. He finishes the email by stating that his family would be arranging their own memorial for Phoebe and that the boys in Jeanette are always welcome to come. Basically, implying that the parents are not 
able to come to this memorial that they're holding for Phoebe. Like, you can have your own funeral and stuff, but, like, you're not allowed to come to our memorial. Okay. For their own daughter that just died. Like, this guy's too much. So, honestly, if I were Natalie, the next day, Aunt would have been fucking in a trash shoot, too. Like, <laughs> fuck him. So, the same day that Aunt sent the email to them, about six days after Phoebe's death, investigators um, go to the parents and tell them that Phoebe's death was ruled a suicide and was not suspicious at all. That's cute. Because, you know, they have so many trash sheet suicides. Yeah. Um, her family was like, obviously, like, what the fuck? No. Yeah. It's a six-day investigation. Yeah, into something like that. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Um, nobody in her family believed that Phoebe would do something like this, especially because she had dinner with her dad that night, and she took her family events very seriously, like mm-hmm. I said before. Um, she also had other family events coming up in the future very soon, like her brother's 18th birthday was coming up. They're really? They were like a family reunion. Yeah. So, just... Stuff like that she would not miss. And she yeah. wouldn't put this, like, heavy weight on them before stuff like that, too. Yeah. So, this is very devastating for the family, obviously. And to this day, they are so extremely dissatisfied with how her death was ruled. Oh, I would be, too. It's mm-hmm. not fair. Now, that's kind of where I'm going to end with this case, because... I'm not really going to go into much more detail about the aftermath of the families because I know how hard this aunt made things for yeah. his family after. Like, since he was senior next, next of kin, he was the one that was going to receive her life insurance money. and Like, he needed it. Exactly. And, like, they had at one of the memorials, like the dad who was a judge made like a snotty snarky comment to the parents and were like she was so depressed like that poor child was so sad like shit like that that's flipping ridiculous yeah so i'm just gonna end it there though because there's not much more evidence there's just opinions at this point and my opinion is that aunt is a fucking dick yeah and a douche and phoebe deserved better and so do her so does her family yeah especially her and her family um there is if you do want to know more like a really in-depth book called into the darkness by robin bowles which is really good there's also an australian podcast (laughs) called phoebe's fall and also the morbid podcast does a really good job on this case as well yeah they're all just really in depth but before i end my case i did say that there's like a little something a twist yeah part two so um i like i said follow-up case regarding another young woman who tragically died in melbourne australia and it was ruled a suicide who was dating Aunt Hamble when she died. Dun, dun, dun. Her name is Bailey Schneider. She was found dead in her parents' vacation home. And the morning of her death, she had texted her mom, letting her know she broke up with her 51-year-old boyfriend, Aunt Hamble. And I'm not going to get into much more. I'm just going to say that she was found with a gold cord wrapped around her neck. And they say that she hung herself. But there were no marks on the ceiling or anything that indicated where she hung herself. 
That's all I'm going to say. But yeah, probably going to be a follow-up episode on that because that's kind of like, like already aunt. funny. All right. Yeah. But okay. If they would have just watched those damn tapes. Maybe that girl would still be alive. I know. Honestly. Yeah. Seriously. Or maybe if they would have checked some fucking damn vitals, she would still be alive. Yeah. And she'd be able to live to tell the tale. Literally. So, yeah. Lovely. Yeah. But not. <laughs> I know. I think that's the end of my case. Yeah. Yeah. One of my faves. Yes, it is. It's so <laughs> fucked up. And, like, I'm not one who usually... I love a good justice case. Like, yeah. I love when someone goes to court and, like, ends up in prison for it. Like, yeah. Like, those are some of my favorite. But, like, this one is just so wild. It's insane. Yeah. And it's, just the amount of things that that man got away with and... Honestly, the entire investigation got away with. Exactly. Ridiculous. So many police officers and detectives have commented on this case being, like, the unethical... Yes. Yeah, just, it was just so bad. But yeah, R.I.P. Phoebe Hansjock and Kristen Smart. Yes. But thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you for listening. Tuning in to another week. But I think that's all we have for this episode. Yeah. And we will try our very, very, very best <laughs> yes. to not make you wait a whole two months again for another episode. So, yeah. Yes. Hopefully we'll see you soon. <laughs> Thank you.